Secret City Files presents Skin Takers. I never thought I would say this, but it feels great to be back in this dusty room. I guess it's come to a, be a little bit of a home away from home. I'm just glad to have survived the visit with my mother. It wasn't that bad, was it? I guess. And that guy on the bus was a lot of fun to talk to. See? Good thing I brought the tape recorder. Uh-huh. Anyways, let's see what the next interesting story from Grandpa is. I found this manila envelope yesterday, and it's really fat. I think it might have something extra awesome in it. Is that a tape recorder? Yep. And check it out. There's a tape in it already. Wait! Read the entry first. Fine. One of my favorite pastimes living in Los Alamos is hiking and there is no shortage. There are trails everywhere around town. I was out one morning up on West Mesa, hiking a trail near the edge of Mesa itself. I tripped on a protruding rock and stumbled. I was, I was riding myself when I looked down to find a perfect black obsidian arrowhead. I have a passion for learning about the ancestral Puebloan peoples. Their history lies scattered all around the four corners, but there is remarkable history right here in the Los Alamos area. Visitors come from all over to visit Bandelier National Monument, right here in Los Alamos' backyard. The ruins of the ancient peoples that used to live here still mystify us. The archaeology shows that the ancient peoples simply disappeared one day, leaving their settlements behind. Their modern descendants live on the pueblos in northern New Mexico, from Taos to Albuquerque along the Rio Grande. As I stood there on the mesa holding the smooth, glassy arrowhead in my hand, I took a moment to survey the area. Where I was, there was just open mesa. I turned and looked down the street below the nearby ridge. It was Rock Ridge Loop, a long street with nice houses, the street ending at the edge of the mesa. I began wondering if there could have been any native ruins out here on West Mesa. There were small ruins all over this region, nothing on the scale of Bandelier, but certainly the ancient native peoples were here in what we now call Los Alamos. As I looked at the streets below, I saw it a hewn foot trail and soft volcanic rock making its way down the ridge, ending near a backyard of one of the houses. There were definitely ancient peoples out here on the mesa, but had anyone found any significant settlement out here? I wondered. That weekend, I went to the Los Alamos County Planning and Zoning Office to ask to look at maps of the end of West Mesa. It took some time, but I discovered that Rock Ridge Loop was developed in the, in the late 70s, about 20 years ago. It was likely there were still families living there when the street was developed. I decided I would make a cold call on the house with a native foot trail abut abutting its backyard. I knocked that Saturday to find a nice middle-aged woman at home. I told her I was interested in learning the history of this part of town and asked if she was the original owner of the house. Oh, we bought this house just a few years ago. The couple who built this house moved away, but their daughter still lives in town, I believe. I jotted the name down and looked her up in the phone book, and to my surprise, I found the name and gave her a call. We will call her Marissa. I had the opportunity to interview her. The story she told me was more intriguing than I would have possibly imagined. I have the interview recorded on a cassette tape. See? Listen to your Alice. Yeah, yeah. Listen to my alleyway. Let's hope that the cassette hasn't degraded too much. Here's hoping. I think this thing's on. Well, thanks for letting me interview you. Sure, no problem. You know, I'm really surprised you went to such an effort to find me. But I can tell you about growing up on West Mesa. 
You said you found an arrowhead up on the ridge? Yes, I did. It's right here. I'm not surprised. We found all sorts of things like that up there. We also found some things I wish we hadn't. Like what? Well, let me start from the beginning, I guess. So my family moved to Los Alamos back in 1976. My dad um, had gotten his PhD and he came to work at the lab. And so we rented a little apartment until um, my parents found a place that they wanted to buy. And there was this developer, Richard Mason, he had bought a huge piece of land out at the end of West Mesa. And he was planning on putting in a housing development there. And my parents really liked the idea of being out on the Mesa. So in, um, I think it was the spring of 1977, we went out to um, look at one of the lots that um, my dad was thinking about buying. And the roads back then were all dirt. I think there was just the stables out there. I'm not sure when they were put in, but I always remember them being there. Uh, there was one house uh, out there at the time, and that was Richard Mason's house. He had a grown daughter, Ellen. She was an anthropologist. I remember getting out uh, of the car and looking around and we were so excited to see uh, our lot the one that my dad had picked out we were running around we were looking all around because there was really nothing out there back at the day back in the day and we found some caves near the base of the ridge and my brother toby and i climbed up onto these big rocks and we got into the caves and they were all smoky and old. The ceilings were black. These were caves dug out by the ancient Pueblo people? Yeah, exactly. I was only eight at the time. My brother Toby was about 11, I think. We didn't really understand the significance of what we'd found there. They actually bulldozed those caves in order to put some houses in there. It's such a shame. In the back of one of those caves, I looked on the ground and we found corn cobs sitting there. They were little ones, much smaller than the corn you buy in the store. I brought them to my mom and she made me throw them out. Of course, it was only later that I realized how amazing that really was. You found the meal of someone who lived hundreds of years ago. Yeah, it was remarkable. My parents, though, they never really appreciated what was there on, on this land. So after buying the lot, my parents decided to buy a modular home. That's, you know, one of those prefabricated homes that's brought up on a semi. And so other than the, uh, the guy that sold us the land, this was the first house on the block. So when they brought it up and they installed it, it was early summer and we were all really excited. We didn't have any electricity. We didn't have any running water at first though. Oh, how did you manage? Well, we had kerosene lamps for lighting and candles. It was kind of like camping. For water, we'd go into town every few days and we'd get some 
big water jugs and fill them up. We'd use it for drinking and cooking. And we even used them for the toilet. We just would jump, uh, dump a bucket of water in the toilet at the end of the day to flush it uh, because the sewage pipes uh, had already been installed. One of my favorite memories that I remember from that time was going outside to play in the trenches that were being dug in the dirt roads. They were burying the power lines and the water pipes. That was a really fun thing for an eight-year-old back then. You had mentioned briefly when we talked over the phone that there were ruins on your property? Yeah, actually, well, they were on the lot next door. What did they look like? Well, there were several square blocks, which were probably houses, uh, just like the ones you see at Bandelier. The roofs and the walls had all collapsed, but you could still see the square bases there. There were probably, oh, maybe half a dozen. And in the middle was a round outline of a structure. A keep up? I think so. We would love to go outside and we would play around there. I mean, there wasn't much else to do in that area in 1977. After a rainstorm especially, we'd go out and look around the ruins because it would, the rain would uncover all the pot shards. We would find arrowheads, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of pottery, and we'd bring them inside and try to piece them together on the kitchen table. Mr. Mason's daughter, the anthropologist, dropped by one day and she actually cataloged some of the pieces of pottery. She uh, painted on the edges of them and wrote numbers on them and uh, wrote them in a book. And I'm not exactly sure what that was all about, but I still have those pieces of pottery. I saw uh, one of the pieces uh, one time that had uh, some small holes drilled in them. And I didn't quite understand what those were for. And I asked her when she was there, and she said that they would drill holes in the pots to let the evil spirits out. That was really kind of creepy for me because I was so young. So after a while, my mom got tired of not having any utilities and she took us out to see relatives um, in Ohio for a few weeks. I was really excited to get home though. My brother and I played in the yard. We would dig with kitchen spoons and uh, just explore the yard. One day we were digging near that Kiva thingy out there and he said that he found something and so I went to go help him dig and it was either the top or the bottom of a pot. It seemed like it was totally intact. It looked different than anything else we'd ever found. It had, it was made from harder clay because the spoon didn't leave any scratches on it when we dug. So we dug and dug and finally we had uncovered a complete pot. You're kidding. I wish I was kidding. It was black. It was very black and it had no markings on it and it had a lid on it, which is what we'd first seen when we started digging. The lid was attached to the pot with some sort of resin. I mean, you know, maybe like tree sap or something. I don't know exactly. 
we were so excited and we were both holding on to the pot and we were running towards the house to show my mom and we were fighting over who was going to show it to her and he wanted to show it to her first and I wanted to show it to her first. All of a sudden we were pulling on the pot and there was this pop and we had pulled the lid free from the pot and I lost my balance and I fell backwards and this reddish powder flew all over me and Toby dropped the pot and it shattered. I landed hard on my back. I hit my head. So we ran inside and I had this powder all over me and of course my mom was just annoyed and she she said that I was just filthy and told me to go change and wash myself up. So then that night I just started to not feel very good. I wasn't hungry. I went to bed early. I woke up in the middle of the night and my hands and my arms where that powder had landed on me was just burning and I was covered in sweat. I was feverish and uh, had a really rough night of sleeping. I don't really remember much of what happened after that, but um, my parents told me that in the morning they came to wake me up because I had slept so late and my mom pulled the covers off my bed and she says that what she saw still haunts her today. She said that I was barely lucid. My arms and hands were covered in these pustules and boils. And she felt my forehead and immediately she yelled for my brother to get the keys to our car. Thankfully, my dad had caught an early ride with a coworker who offered to give him one. So my mom said she's never driven so fast down that dirt road to the hospital before. She ran me in, wrapped in my bed sheet. She says I was yelling incoherently. So the doctor on call uh, said that I had a really high fever and it turns out I had 104 fever they brought me into the exam room of the ER. My mom said she tried to reach my dad, but the secretary kept saying that he was out in a tech area or something and he wouldn't be back for a half an hour. And the nurses were bringing over IVs with saline and all kinds of medication and the doctor was trying to get helpful history from my mom but she said she couldn't think of anything that had happened recently to me other than our trip to Ohio. Then my dad finally arrived. They couldn't figure out the cause of the illness but the nurses were giving me antibiotics. Afterwards two men appeared dressed in dark suits and hats and they were talking to the doctors. My dad apparently jumped up and stopped them at the door. So my dad asked them who these men were and they said they were from the Los Alamos laboratory and they were there to help. 
my dad didn't didn't seem to trust them and so he asked what department they were from and they just said oh it's not important and they brushed past him into the room and so my parents said that they um, took blood samples they scraped off some of my skin where i was having these uh, boils on my skin and they started putting them in sealed bags and then they just left they didn't even say anything so i think i was in the hospital for about two weeks and i slowly started to you know come to and start to uh, recognize things and after lots of antibiotics I started to regain my strength, my skin started to heal, but you can still see I have scars all over my body from whatever those boils were. And the weird thing is that nobody else in my family ever became ill like I did, which is good. After I returned home, I was confined to rest for a while, but we noticed that they started bulldozing uh, the lot next door with the ruins and it really makes me angry to think about it that they did that soon uh, after we noticed that they were doing that we noticed these two black sedans also came down the road as well as some heavy trucks and two men in dark suits got out of the sedan and looked into the kiva and then they waved at the truck and men with shovels and masks came over and they dug for a while. Then they brought over two large black bags that were much larger than trash bags. They put something into each bag and brought them back into the truck. From the way you're describing, that sounds like body bags. The next time we saw Mr. Mason, we asked him about it. He was flabbergasted. He wasn't home at the time the bulldozers came. So the next time we saw him, he said that that lot was sold and that there were workers coming to dig a foundation, but not for a couple weeks. And he said he had no idea who those men were that we saw. Do you believe in evil spirits, Mr. Groves? I believe in evil, but all too often it seems evil comes in a black sedan. Well, thank you, Marissa. Thank you for sharing your story. That took courage, and I assure you I will keep it confidential. I don't know what to make from Marissa's story. It certainly confirms some suspicions I've had about the lab, including the existence of a shadow organization within it. As to the crux of your experience, I don't know exactly what to conclude from our conversation. I know there are diseases endemic to the Southwest, such as the recently discovered hotter virus. I inquired with an acquaintance in the biology sciences department at the lab about the probability of an infectious bacteria surviving undisturbed in semi-arid conditions. His knowledge was enlightening. He informed me that the anthrax spores have a documented dormant survival time in soil at least 48 years and can still be infectious to humans and animals. He also mentioned that he has colleagues who theorize 
Anthrax can remain dormant in soil for hundreds of years. I wonder if Marissa's mystery disease has any bearing on the downfall of ancient Puebloans as a people. I suppose only the desert holds the answer.